Well, we're digging into Romans chapter 12, where Paul reminds us, and it's so good to hear it on the heels of our Live Out Loud series, that God doesn't expect you to try to impact the people around you in your own strength. How sad would that be? And your own limited human resources, you would run out in a hurry. No, no. Paul, as we round the corner from Romans 11 with just rich doctrinal truths of who God is and what he's done and the Holy Spirit and sovereignty, he begins to turn the focus towards, in light of this great doctrine, what would the devotion and duty look like of living this out? And then he tells us clearly, he begins to highlight when God saves you. His Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, it's not a thing, not a liquid A person starts to live in you. And when he lives in you, he never shows up empty-handed. He comes bringing supernatural spiritual gifts that are now yours. Not just for some of you, a few select few that made the cut. Every believer. So let's go to Romans chapter 12 and look at it again. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible today, you're going to be so sad. Because I want you to mark Romans 12 because we're going to go to like three or four other great passages to put this together. And I want you to see it. But we're going to start in Romans 12. Get yourself a mark there because we're going to keep coming back. But we're going to go other places. Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace that's given to me, to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now last week, here's, can I get your help, Vicki? While I talk to them a minute. And can't even see them. Would you see if you can clean those? There's a big smudge on the right lens. Last week, I said all I wanted to do was lay. Are you out there? (laughs) In faith, I'm going to talk. Last week, I said all I wanted to do was lay the foundation for this, right? And I said there's two pillars, critical pillars that have to be fastened in place first before you get all jazzed about your specific gifts. You remember what they were? What was the first one? What's that first pillar that better be fastened in place? You need to make sure that you understand the greater scheme of God's kingdom. 
recognize your relative. I know this sounds awkward in a world where we try to puff your relative what? Unimportance in the bigger scheme of God's kingdom. Oh, get excited about how he's designed you and made you. But in the bigger scheme of things, don't ever lose sight of the fact that God doesn't need you. The kingdom wasn't limping along until you entered. And as worms begin to eat you, the kingdom, thank you, sweet baby love. (laughs) And as you're eaten with worms, the kingdom won't stumble as everyone says. And God and the angelic beings say, what are we going to do now without him or her? Not going to happen. It's our joy to serve. We get to get in on what God is doing and has been doing and will keep doing. So keep that framed up. But I said we're getting that from verse 3. Not to think more highly of himself than he ought. But I said there's actually two ways to disobey that verse. There's actually two ditches you can fall into that renders you useless no matter how gifted you are. I am so... And here's one too many Christians don't recognize as a ditch. I am so terrible. Both are filled with unbelief because both have you focused way too much on who? Yourself instead of your savior. And so Paul wants to keep us on this middle road out of both of those ditches because I told you not to think more highly of himself than he ought, but to think, what's the word? Soberly. And I said in the Greek, that means what? Accurately, accurately, who you are in Christ now, in Christ now. He doesn't need you to wallow endlessly about how terrible you are. He knows, he knows how terrible you are. All your sin was put on Christ and the wrath of God was poured out on his son for all that. Don't lose sight of the fact that you're a sinner, but he doesn't need you to just beat yourself up endlessly and comb over your life in introspection and remind him relentlessly you're so terrible. So two ditches to stay out of on that. Then I said there's a second pillar that has to be fastened in place. What was that? Do you remember what it was related to? Oh, break my heart. The church. The church. That you need to recognize God never calls you to his son in salvation and a relationship without also at the same time connecting you to his other children in a what kind of church? Say it louder. Local church. In a local church. In a local church. Because this is a pillar also that's shaky in our day. In the last eight to ten years, it's become fashionable to just diss the church, down on the church, don't need the church. Folks, the Bible doesn't talk that way. Do people get hurt in a local church? Oh, my. Could we tell stories for the next hours? Sure. But God hasn't given us an exit door on the church yet at all. And he died for the church. So this has to be fastened in place. And I said to you from verses 4 and 5, it's like we can see that Paul takes this box of spiritual gifts. And drops it right down into the middle of the tangled web of relationships and people. And sometimes mess, but often joy that we call a local church. He takes us by the hand and leads us back down into a local church to remind us that the church is the hub. And each of us with our gifts are simply individual spokes connected to that hub. So that in fact, I believe the Bible teaches that the local church, God designed it to be the incubator for discovering, developing, 
And yes, using your spiritual gifts. Now, should it spill on out beyond the local church? Don't hear me saying all your serving has to happen here. Praise God for people that are serving at New Hope and being counselors with young women who are pregnant out of wedlock. And praise God for those of you serving at Fairhaven and in Young Life on high school campuses. Oh, yes, it should spill out. But he designed it to start here, discover it here, develop it here, use it here. And then I told you there's something else critical that happens here. That without it, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. It's just a gong or a clanging cymbal if this is missing. What's that? Say it louder. Because it's interesting, the, the classic go-to Cadillac passage on spiritual gifts is 1 Corinthians 12. And 1 Corinthians 14 is still all about gifts. It's interesting. What is stuck between 12 and 14 that gets read at so many weddings and practiced in almost no homes? 1 Corinthians, what's it all about? Why would he do that? It's not random. He's not changing gears. It's like without love. Who cares how gifted you are, God says. And where's one of the best places to learn to love? Right here. Is it hard? Think about it. Until you get hurt, you don't even have to grow in love, right? If you could find that church where everyone thought just like you and everyone was so like Jesus, no one ever offended you, you wouldn't have to learn to love. So you can just thank that person that wounded you for helping you, right? That's the truth of the matter to some extent. Love. Love. So we got to have this. Remember, God doesn't need me. And there's a bigger thing going on and local church. So with those two critical pillars in place now, what I want to do today is to begin to lead you further into what I think God would want us to know about our spiritual gifts. But I, I'm, I'm sure that I'm going to disappoint some of you. So go ahead and just say, oh, I'm still not going to talk in detail and unpack different gifts. And this is the gift of prophecy. And this is this, this. And here's the definition. And here's what it looks like. And here's how you'd know if you have that. Not going to do it. And you know Why? I'm not saying there's not a place for it. There may be another day, say if we're preaching through 1 Corinthians, that I'll go there. But two reasons I'm not. Here's, here's the first one. If you know anything about your Bible and the main passages that teach spiritual gifts, you would think right now, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, really through 14, and Ephesians 4. And here's what's interesting. If you read all three passages, you don't even see the same gifts listed. There's some overlap. But there's not a consistency of these are these spiritual gifts. And I'll tell you what's completely absent. You don't find in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, or Ephesians 4, precise definitions of any of the gifts. Why? Here's what I believe. I believe that God is far more concerned with the motive for why you want to do what you do. The heart And love for Jesus. And when those things get going, I've got the right motive. I've got the right heart. I love Jesus. I've got the right motive. I've got the right heart. I love Jesus. Spiritual gifts tend to be discovered, developed, and used in helpful, healthy ways. You can work that all out. You can be prefer with one another. You can grow and understand these things And so I'm going to go after the heart again today. 
I'm going to go after your heart because I think God's so much more concerned that I'm convinced as God looks at grace fellowship and I'm excited for what he will do in us through the, through these messages. I'm convinced that he's saying, oh man, if we get the right heart here, oh man, if love for Jesus is accelerated and turbocharged a little more, I'll show you what your gifts are. I'll show you how to use them. I'll use you to impact this community and world, but it's the heart. He's always been more after the heart. So let me show you four heart attitudes that I think have to be in place. As you say, I do want to know what my gifts are and I would like to use them more. Number one, first heart attitude. Don't waste your energies and opportunities trying, trying to get or wish you had somebody else's life and somebody else's giftedness. So easy to do, isn't it? When you see somebody else that God's using and the way he's using them, he's like, that's so cool. I'd like to do that. I want to do that. I'm attracted to that. I think I could do that. Don't waste your energies trying to get somebody else's life or someone else's giftedness. Now, feel free to be inspired. I get inspired by certain people, the way they serve, and and it opens me up to considering. But I'm talking about you have set your sights on something And you say, I like her gift better. I like the way God's using him better. My gift is so lame. Right? Because there's some behind the scene gifts and there's some upfront gifts. So here's what I'm saying. In a sense, you may not have realized it's so dishonoring to your Lord and Savior Jesus if you're looking for the spiritual gifts return counter. And you're saying, how do I turn this in and get, I want what she has. I want what he has. Why? Because God himself is the distributor of spiritual gifts. This was not random. This just didn't happen. It wasn't an afterthought. Let me show you from the text. Go make sure you're in Romans 12 again. Look at verse three. How did you get the gift that you have? How does anybody get a spiritual gift? Look at Romans 12, verse three, the end of it. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He was still talking about gifts, folks, because it takes faith to exercise your gift. You need a measure of faith. He's referring to it as faith. He decided what you'd get. Look at verse six. Having then gifts differing. Look at me. There it is, clear as can be. Having gifts differing. How did they end up differing like this? Why do you have that and I have this and she has that and he has that? Did you sign up for it? Did you ask for it? Did you pray hard enough for it? He's going to tell you in the next phrase. Look at it in verse six, according to. Whenever you see the phrase according to, he's giving you the basis for why. Where did this come from? How did it happen? According to the grace that is given to us. Okay, it's been referred to as a measure of faith. Now it's being referred to as the grace given to you because here's the deal that's interesting. In the original language, the word grace is charis. The word gift is charismata, where we get charismatics. Grace and spiritual gifts go together, folks. And so it's not just grace that saves you. It's grace that gifts you. And you need God's grace to use your gift. So he's decided the measure of faith to give you and the grace to give you. Jump over to 1 Corinthians 12. I would encourage you to read the whole chapter at some point to learn some more about spiritual gifts. But all I want to do is show you this same point from another book. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 We're talking about who gave the gifts, who decided. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as they sign up and beg. No. As 
He wills. God's doing this on purpose. He never gets it wrong. He never gets a wrong address. He knows what he's doing. Look at verse 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. So we know from scripture that salvation is according to the good pleasure of the Lord. As he pleased that he saved you, news alert, it's his pleasure, his own good pleasure and what he is pleased to gift you a certain way. It's God. So it's very offensive and dishonoring to just keep saying, and here's what will happen. If you keep your sight set on somebody else's gift and, and what God is doing through them, two possibilities, perhaps both. You'll end up living your spiritual life almost like you're holding your breath. And I just haven't started yet, but I'm going to. As soon as I have this certain gifting that I wish that I had, that I could really be used of the Lord. And you just never really get going. Your Christian life has this feel of being on pause because you keep wanting something different, something better, something. But what I've seen that's even worse than that is the danger can be if you, if you won't settle in. See, the longer you keep your sight set on somebody else and what God is doing through him, him or her, you're not likely to discover what God has done in you and wants to do through you. When you do this, oh, you spend your Christian life trying to be somebody else and do what they're doing. And if God hasn't gifted you, what happens is you live with a spiritual low-grade frustration. And, and consistent sense of failure, because it doesn't go well. And eventually you'll just give up altogether on serving. Don't go down that path. Don't look for the return counter. Don't ask God, how do I turn this in and get what they have? The sooner you take your eyes off other people and say, God, I just want to serve. I want to love Jesus. I want to follow you. I'm going to plug into my church. And oh, by the way, if you'd flush to the surface how you've gifted me, it would be a great joy and a delight. I'll try to develop it further. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep my eyes on you and I'm going to serve. Let me show you one verse that I believe nails it as to your giftedness is not random and it was not an afterthought. God never has an afterthought. An afterthought is just the result of not thinking of everything you should have had in mind when you first acted. That doesn't happen to God. So Ephesians, there's, there's these places in the Bible that I believe Christians know. And it's a go-to passage for certain things, but they stop reading too soon. When you hear me quote this, or if you choose to go there, you're going to think, I know that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Woo! Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus what? Nothing. But too many Christians stop reading. Verse 10. He tells you what's supposed to happen next in your life once he saves you by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Look at me. The original word there in the Greek was poema. Any ideas what English word we derive from that? Poem. Poem. You are a work of art being crafted uniquely by God. You're not a mess. You may just think, no, I'm a crayon picture at best. No, this is not chaos. This is not just a mess. We are his poema. Where's workmanship? Created in Christ Jesus. So you're in Christ. You've accepted your accurate assessment of yourself. 
not to just sit and soak and say, hallelujah, I'm not on my way to hell. In Christ Jesus created for what? What's it say next? For good works. Which God prepared when? Beforehand. That we should walk in them. This is so cool, folks. Here's what this means. There's never been a moment like this. Where someone comes to Christ. Someone repents. Someone is translated out of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. And God says, ah, to the angelic host, look at this. What am I going to do with that? I didn't see that coming. How do I use her in our kingdom? What a mess. You expect me to work with that? What do we do with her? Never. 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 The same God that saves is the same God that gifts And he planned to save you and he planned to use you. He already knows the gifts and the ways he intends to work through you. If there's anybody in the dark, it's not God. It might just be you. But he knows. He knows. What an exciting thought. Number three, heart attitude that needs to be in place. Don't ever let, and this is so important, don't ever let your ability... Squeeze out your ongoing pursuit of humility for how long? That was weak. For a lifetime. Folks, this is not on the front end. Hey, when you're a brand new Christian and you've been recently in a big mess, oh, work on humility. Be careful. In certain seasons of life, watch out. Folks, this is for a lifetime. Don't ever, ever, ever stop consciously, intentionally pursuing and cultivating and working at humility. Never mind discovering your spiritual gifts. I hope you do. But folks, if you let up on humility, it doesn't matter. You can be gifted as can be. It doesn't matter. You will not make an eternal impact on anyone. This is critical. And you say, Brad, did we not hit that whole humility thing enough last week in verse three with don't think more highly than? Well, here would be my answer. If Paul was finished with this theme, we could be too. But he's not. Now, I know in the English translation, verse 3 is the only place you really see that. But I'm going to try to help you bring to the surface. I think Paul has woven this whole theme of humility and mercy dependent. Humility and mercy dependent right through verses 6 to 8 as he talks about the specific gifts. Now, I know if you look at it in your English Bible, you say, I don't see it. I know. Here's what's going on. I hope this doesn't freak you out. But when Bible translators translate, there are times, think about it, languages can be very different. If you just translate exactly, literally, woodenly, it would not make a lot of sense sometimes. They have to supply words sometimes for our language to make sense. It's a judgment call. That's why there's usually a huge committee praying and thinking about this and batting these things around. In verses 6 to 8, in the original language, as Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, penned it, there is no main verb. There's nothing driving this. It's absent. So the English translators have supplied one, and it's the phrase, let them use it. And what, what you'll notice, and maybe this would be helpful to you to remember from now on, whenever the translators have supplied a word or a phrase, they put it in italics. So we sometimes think that italics means emphasize. Read it louder when you get there. Now, what it means in your English Bible is it wasn't there at all. 
And they want to help this make sense, so they've supplied it, but it was not there originally in the Greek. And that's why I think it sounds kind of odd and awkward the way they've written it. Listen to it again. Verse 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. Now maybe you don't feel it, but, but I think it's a little odd. Like, if you have the gift of ministry, use it in ministering. Gift of teaching, use it in teaching. Gift of exhortation, use it. Where else would I use it? It seems kind of redundant. John Piper suggests this. And I think he's right. John Piper suggests that the absence of the main driving verb, Paul expects us to keep reaching back and keep a hold of verse 1 about the mercies of God and verse 3 about humility. Because what he wants to do is he wants humility and mercy dependence to be woven all through the use of any gift. Why? To understand that as you serve other people and love other people with your gift, it never puts them in your debt. You're not better than them in any way. They're not lesser than you. And and here's the sense. There is no moral high ground. None of us are here trying to help people that are here. And so Piper suggests this translation. Verse 6 to 8 says it this way. Having gifts then differing according to the grace given to us, let us use them humbly. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service, let us use it with mercy dependent humility in our serving. The one who teaches, let him use his teaching gift with mercy dependent humility in his teaching. The one who exhorts, let him exhort with mercy dependent humility in his exhortation. The one who gives, let him give with mercy dependent humility in his giving and thus generously. The one who leads, let him lead with mercy dependent humility. And thus with zeal. The one who shows mercy, let him do it with mercy dependent humility and thus with cheerfulness. See, two things that I think are important about this why he would come back and leave it in such a way that mercy and humility are woven all the way through the, the, the commenting on specific gifts. Two things. If you lose the taste and the awareness, and the freshness of God's mercy to you. Remember the whole thing began in Romans 12:1. I urge you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies living. And now he's going on to serving. If you lose sight of mercy and your motive becomes anything other than because of the mercies of God to me, I, you'll lose heart. You'll quit. You can't do it for a lifetime. Even giftedness alone, folks, I hope this doesn't shock you. I, I told you last week, I think I know what my spiritual gifts are. I've cultivated them, developed them, been encouraged in those. But I have been tempted, hope this doesn't rock you, to leave here. Not because I didn't know what my gifts were. I was so discouraged. I was so overwhelmed. I was so, I can't push this rock uphill anymore. I just feel so, whoa, it's too much. What has kept me here? I do love you, but that's not enough. You're not that lovable. I'll tell you what's kept me here. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. I've memorized all three chapters, and I want you to see one verse that drives home what I'm getting at. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 is where you see this mercy again. And what mercy is supposed to do when it's fresh and real in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. What, what is Paul saying? Just like God saved you by his mercy, God gave you this ministry. God gave you this gift. And you got to keep that in mind. If you start basing on, I can keep doing this by fruitfulness and effectiveness, and people are saying, thank you. Oh, you'll go through fruitful periods, but guess what? Even when you know what your gift are and you're serving in an area of giftedness, can you go through some really hard times, dry times? I'm just not seeing, quote, results. It doesn't seem successful, quote, right? You'll quit. If it's just, I want to know what my gift, see, too many Christians think, if I just knew what my gift was and I was serving in my area of giftedness, I wouldn't lose heart. Yes, you will still, unless you are soaking in, splashing around in, drenched with the mercy of God and understanding, I serve him based on mercy, whether I see results or not. It's just like he saved me by his mercy. He's given me this ministry by his mercy. It's not my ministry and my whole identity is not tied up in success or failure. Does this make sense? If you can get a hold of the mercy of God and stay mercy dependent, cultivating humility, you're much more likely to be able to do this for a lifetime. Here's the other reason I think Paul wove back into all the specific gifts, humility and mercy dependence. Get this, this is huge. This is so different than out there in the world, in the marketplace. This is one of those upside down kingdom first shall be last things that I'm about to say. Giftedness alone is never the determining factor in how greatly or how widely God will use you. It's much more likely to be fruitful if you're serving in an area of giftedness, but oh, listen to me. Giftedness alone in God's kingdom is not it. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Humility alone, so I'm going to cultivate humility and be a huge success. Humility alone does not guarantee success, but stay with me. Lack of humility will guarantee that God will come against you. You say, really? Yeah, really. Here's the way I would put it to you. Lack of humility, God will start resisting you instead of assisting you. Because he sees what maybe you don't see. It's really all about you And you're building a little kingdom of you. And it's all about, and he will not share his glory with another. Less gifted people are often used more greatly because of humility. Super gifted people have been sidelined with their gift by lack of humility. And so for a lifetime, don't just focus on how your abilities. Oh, keep cultivating Humility. Keep, and pay attention to scary passages like 1 Peter 5, 5 to 7. He says, be clothed with humility. That's a command. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. I got to choose that. Just, and I love that phrase, be clothed with. It's like I've got to choose that shirt, pull it out of my spiritual closet and put on the shirt of humility. Put on the blazer of humility. Put on the dress of of humility. Be clothed with humility. Why? For God resists the proud, but gives grace 
to the humble. Remember I said grace and gift are in the same root word, charis, charismatic. You can't use your gift without grace. You need God's grace to save you and you need God's grace to serve and make an impact. If because of lack of humility, God is against you instead of for you, kiss a goodbye. It will not be effective because in a sense, it's worse than just, if you think when God sees that you're not humble, he doesn't step back and say, just you go girl, do it. You're on your own. You don't get my help. It's worse than that. He steps forward and he resists you. It's like you're trying to serve and live and do these things. And God has his foot on the brake with the emergency brake jerked up saying, I'm resisting you now instead of assisting you. That scares me. So I, I, as much as I want to be aware of a lot of things, I want to keep cultivating humility. Stay vigilant about humility. Number three, focus on hard attitude. Talking about what should you do if you really want to know what your gifts are and be used by God. This might surprise some of you, but I think it'll also help some of you. Focus on general Christian obedience more than trying to pinpoint your specific gift. Now, why would I say that? Here's what I think too many Christians don't notice. If you read Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, you can see some gifts that everybody doesn't have. So God says he didn't give it. But here's what's interesting about Romans 12, 3 to 8 and some of the other passages. There's a bunch of gifts listed in there that if you're paying attention, all of us are supposed to do some of those things. Here's what I mean. You start with the gift of serving, the first one in Romans 12 there that he lists. In your ministering, or service, some translations. That is the same word that's used in Ephesians 4.12 where Paul said he's given to the church some pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry or service for the building up of the body of Christ. Guess who's supposed to serve and do ministry? Raise your hand. Every believer. But some have been gifted supernaturally by the Spirit in a special way to really lead the way with us. But every believer is supposed to minister and say, equip me, equip me, equip me. But there's some gift of mercy. He's saying, you know, if you got mercy, gift, use this with cheerfulness. Do the rest of us get to be cruel? I don't got the gift of mercy. Go find a mercy person. Don't talk to me. I've got the gift of teaching. I'll tell you all about why you fell down. Yeah, it's your own fault. Go find a mercy person to hold you and say, oh, I don't have the gift of mercy. (laughs) Didn't surprise you, did it? (laughs) But am I supposed to be merciful? Yes, I'm supposed to work on this. And part of it is marrying a a woman with the gift of mercy has helped tremendously. It's it's washed over on me, but I'm to work at this because folks, as believers, one of our calling cards as believers that sets us aside in a world that's harsh and cruel should be mercy. Mercy, mercy, forgiveness. I forgive, I let things go. I prefer, I don't hold a grudge. Why? Because he's forgiven me so much. Jesus himself in Matthew 18 tells that parable, remember? About the servant that was forgiven a billion dollar debt who goes out and grabs another fellow servant and throttles him around the neck and chokes him and says, pay me what you owe me after he'd been forgiven everything. And the king in the parable, who's God, called him back and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. 
We are to show mercy. We are to be merciful. So cultivate it. But some of you have the gift. Um, some of you are like mercy on two legs. I mean, like you walk in the room and you're just drawn to the most hurting, broken person. And you sense it way ahead of other people. And you don't take a step back from it. You lean into it. Yay. Gift of mercy. But it doesn't mean the rest of us can just be cold, sterile. No. Giving. I hope you didn't drive out of here last week saying, hallelujah, Brad has the gift of giving. I bet there's a dozen other people that do too. And they can meet our $3.8 million budget. I'll just exercise my other gifts, which I am confident is not giving. I do not have the joy that he was talking about. I know I don't. The Bible, same man that wrote Romans 12, Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, writing to the entire church in Corinth says, excel at the grace of giving. Stir it up. Folks, just like mercy, giving should be a calling card for Christians. We should be some of the most giving. Let it go. Hold loosely to the things of this world. I don't have to try to pile it up here because I've got an inheritance that's greater than this and a hope that's bigger than this. And I see with an eternal mindset, every believer should cultivate sacrificial, generous giving. But... He's given some people, and I'm one of them, the gift of giving. And I'll lead the way. I'm the one that will wake up thinking, how could we give more? What could we change to give more? My wife is so sweet to deal with this. Sometimes she gets scared, and she's like, ooh, okay. Are we going to be okay? Yes, okay, all right. I mean, she's learned. She's so good. Thank you. She's like, but I'll ask sometimes, and I'll know, ooh, this is going to scare her. But God... Well, you can't outgive God, but I have the gifts, so I understand that. But please, all of you, get, get there. Be a giver. Be a giver. What about exhortation? Gift of exhortation. Let me help you here. You maybe have thought, we, we're all about biblical counseling, help a real person with a real problem using your Bible, and you've wondered, I don't see the word counseling in the Scripture. This is the gift. Exhortation. The word exhortation in the original language simply means to come alongside someone and put truth back in their mind so that it'll put courage in their heart to keep doing what God says do even when they feel like quitting. Is that not counseling? Holding on to someone and walking with them long enough and listening to them and sorting out how they've gotten confused and lost heart and putting hope. Are there just a handful of people that are supposed to do that? No, because same way, Hebrews 3.13, he says, exhort one another daily. Daily, lest any of you get snared in sin and its deceitfulness. But will there be some people that are just really good at this? Yeah. And so they're on our counseling team. And when you fill out the paperwork, you'll be assigned one of them to help who are especially good at this. But all of us are supposed to know how to help a real person with a real problem using our Bible. Is this making sense? So the best way to discover some of your spiritual gifts is just get on board with general Christian obedience. Doing what God calls us to do is very likely that you'll stumble into and discover some of the ways that he's especially gifted you. Number four, heart attitude. This is a great one because it brings us back to our Savior. Back to our Savior. Number four, keep on delighting in Christ more than pursuing your spiritual gifts. Don't get lost in this. Don't take your focus off Jesus. Let me take you to another passage to show you what I'm talking about. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. What am I talking about when I say keep on delighting in Christ? 1 Peter chapter 2. 
beginning in verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him, the pronoun him is referring to Jesus Christ. Now he's going to start talking about Jesus. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Look at me. Does that not sound very similar to Romans 12, 1 and 2? And offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6. Therefore, it's also contained in the scripture. He's going to quote from the Old Testament now. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He's talking about Jesus. And he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe He is, say it, precious. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who were once not a people of God but are now the people of God who once had not were not objects of mercy but now have obtained mercy here's what I love about this passage and why I took you here it has some of the same themes from Romans 12 1 to 8 of mercy and living sacrifice but Peter takes those same themes and wraps them around the person of Jesus Christ You say, Brad, what's your point? Here's the point. We see in this passage, Jesus is the cornerstone. If Jesus is not the cornerstone of your life, holding this whole thing up, what you're you're seeking to do, how you're seeking to live, and if Jesus is not secondly, what's the word we saw three times? Precious. You won't be able to do this long at all. You'll quit. You want to persevere? See, you want to be courageous? You want to speak up? You want to have a heart that sacrifices to see? Some of you have been focused on, I need to be more courageous. I don't know what I should, I'm I'm asking for courage. Let me help you. In 1 John 4.18, this is not in your outline, but you might jot it down. In 1 John 4.18, it says, perfect love casts out. You know what the next word is? Fear. Don't focus on being more courageous. Focus on loving Jesus more. Now, I'm going to offend some of you, but I hope it'll help you long term. The reason so many Christians don't serve, don't push outside themselves, don't even have eyes to see lost people or other believers, hang on to all their money, chew up all their time, just focus on their own little world, is Jesus is not Precious to them. You need more than just saying, I believe in Jesus. When Jesus is precious to you, 
You love him. You sit at his feet. You worship him. You delight in him. You follow him. You want to give your life for him. And oh, by the way, as I just follow my Savior, think like my Savior, love my Savior, go where my Savior would go and serve others. Just love God and serve others. Just love God and serve others. Love is moving me. Love compels me. I end up being more courageous and confident than I would ever be because I'm so filled with love. How could I not? And he did. And is this making sense? So we're back to the whole potency thing, right? I've got to sit at his feet. So if some of you are sitting there thinking, yikes, I can't relate to how you're talking. He's not precious. God already knows that. Just confess and say, God, I don't have what Brad was talking about. Would you give me that? Would you rock my world? Would you bring back, maybe for the first time, the preciousness of Christ? Oh my goodness, my Savior is wonderful. What he did for me, who he is, his delight, spending time with him, knowing him. Communing with him is so sweet, so satisfying, so invigorating. And, and, and that moves me to live differently when I head out of the house. Go there. And so in summary of this whole thing, let me give you four practical steps to just nail it with these two messages of Romans 12, 1 to 8. If you're still saying, okay, how would I determine my gifts and start to use them? Ready? Number one, go back to Romans 12, 1 and soak in the mercy of God. I mean, splash around in it, wade around in that. Don't get over it. If you've lost, if it's not that special anymore, say, God, start there. Don't say, where can I serve? What, what are my gifts? Start with overwhelming me with, with, with mercy. Paul never got over it. He's always like, I'm an object of God's mercy. I've received mercy. I'm a recipient of God's mercy. If you lost that, go there and say, God, stir it up, stir it up, stir it up. Mercy, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God. Then number two, Go to verse three and say, God, I'm willing to surrender now all my opinions of myself, my high and low opinions of myself, and I'm willing to adopt your accurate assessment of who I am in Christ now. I'm exhausted, God from trying to keep up this facade and this front of I am so great, I don't struggle, I'm so gifted, uh, exhausting. Or, this might be, I'm exhausted from wallowing around in this ditch of I am so terrible. So, I am willing to adopt and submit to your accurate assessment of who I am in Christ now. Which you're going to have to, especially this ditch of I am so terrible. You're going to have to not listen to your feelings. Feelings still may say you're the biggest loser. He could never use you. You're going to have to ignore your epic failure past. Maybe you have an epic failure past and you just think he could never use somebody like me. I'm so worse than other people. And you're going to have to learn to talk back to your enemy, Satan, who still comes swooping in with accusations. He's the accuser of the brethren saying, look at you with condemnation and guilt and a sense of unworthiness. And you're ready to say, God, I'm not going to go by my feelings. I'm not going to keep wallowing my past and I'm not going to listen to my enemy. Your assessment. So you get this going, mercy of God. It's fresh and real to me and I'm overwhelmed. I adopt God's assessment of who I am. I stop listening to my own flesh or my enemy. And then number three, from verses four and five, you plug in to your local church and you start serving where? Anywhere. And just loving everybody 
you can. Anybody you can. I'm just going to serve and love, serve and love, serve. Now watch this. Stay with me. When you get this trifecta going in your life of mercy of God is fresh and real and I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm holding on to an accurate assessment of who God says I am, not what I hear from my enemy or my own flesh. And I'm just right in there just serving simple ways, behind the scene ways, whatever I can do. When this trifecta of mercy, accurate assessment and plugged in just serving gets going in your life, I guarantee you, your spiritual gifts as to how God may have gifted you in a turbocharged way in special areas will become evident even if not to you and maybe it wouldn't be you because your focus is somewhere else I hope after you heard these two messages but other people will be the ones to say to you I think you might have the spiritual gift of you're so effective it's so helpful take that approach say God I just want you to use me I just want my life to matter and here's the last thing I want you to get before I stop we're in 1 Peter 2 there. What do you remember about Peter? Big success? Keep this in mind, folks, especially some of you, because I'm sure we've got some Peter and Peterettes here. This is a man who was an epic failure if there ever was one, right? In Jesus' greatest hour of need, he denied Jesus three times folded up like a cheap lawn chair was not there and when christ rose from the dead he said to the women at the tomb go and tell peter only one that got named and my disciples that i'm alive and then he had that conversation on the beach in john 21 with peter where three times he said peter do you love me feed my sheep feed my sheep Feed my sheep. What was Jesus doing? He was saying, Peter, in my kingdom, I'm not done with you. I still intend to use you. You're not pushed to the side. Your failure does not characterize or identify you forever. There's some of you here that desperately need to know that. God is in the business of using failures. And he doesn't wipe his hands of people. It's his grace and his mercy. Oh God, I pray that you would work in our lives by your grace and for your glory. And thank you that your word doesn't just tell us about the grace that saves us and the mercy that calls us, but the grace and mercy that gifts us and equips us to serve you for a lifetime in ways that are beyond what we ever thought we could do. Oh God, stir up mercy in our church family. Make it fresh and real. Oh God, give dozens of people for the first time in their lives the faith to adopt your accurate assessment of themselves and then draw into service dozens of people to just begin serving anywhere, loving anybody they can. And then would you make evident particular gifts that could be developed, not for their glory, but for the great good of your kingdom and other people. That we might see the effectiveness of Grace Fellowship step up significantly as more of the body was serving. Use us for your glory. It is our joy to serve you and follow you and live for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.